Uh, Y'all turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 verse 17 is where we're going to start. I was around 22, just before my 22nd birthday, when I first really felt God's call to ministry. It came as a total surprise to me. This is not something I had planned on or thought about previously or imagined myself doing. And so one of the first things I wanted to do was call my Uncle Tim. My, my Uncle Tim was and is a pastor, and he was the only one in my family who was in vocational ministry. And um, he was pastoring a church way up in North Texas, right on basically on the Red River, um, so practically in Oklahoma, and little bitty town up there. And I, I, I said, we want to come see you just so I can see what it's like to be a pastor, just spend a few days with you. So Carrie and I took a day off from work, and we drove, made the long drive up there. And um, when, we, when we arrived, first thing he said to me was, well, you picked a good day to come if you want to see what it's like to be a pastor. And the first place he and I went, we went to a, a pasture because a widow in the church had asked my uncle to look after her cows for her. And I was like, well, they didn't talk about this in seminary. Um, of course, I hadn't been to seminary yet, but uh, they didn't, you know, I, didn't, I didn't expect this was part of the ministry. And then after that, uh, we went to his office, and he made some phone calls. And one of the phone calls he had to make was to an elderly man who was a member of the congregation whose adult children happened to be out of town that weekend, and so they'd ask their pastor, my uncle, to check up on their dad every day and, and to make sure he was taking his medicine, to make sure he was doing okay. And so I listened to the my side, to one side of this phone conversation, and, and it went something like this. Mr. Johnson, my kids wanted me to ask you if you've had a bowel movement today. I said, have you? So it went like that, and I was like, well, I really didn't think that was part of being a pastor. Um, that night, the youth group invaded the pastor's house, the parsonage, um, because that earlier that week, uh, a member of the church who was the f- head football coach had cussed out a member of the church who was the best player on the team, and he had quit the team. And so the youth group was in an uproar, and they were all concerned about, well, how can this man who's a deacon in our church act like that? And, and so they stayed at the house with my aunt and uncle well past midnight, answering questions and crying and talking and praying and So they went home, and then eventually Sunday came, and my uncle is a very, very good preacher, but that day it was rather hard to stay focused because the organist at his church um, insisted on sitting at the organ during the service, and she was hard of hearing, and so if she accidentally hit a key, she didn't necessarily know she had hit a key. And so the sermon was was oddly punctuated with these weird little... Semi-musical interludes, and it was like, and thus says the Lord, you know, Myrtle, get off the key, you know, that kind of thing. So it it was very educational for me because it, it showed me you don't necessarily know what someone's job is like until you've actually walked in their shoes for a while. We're talking about work today. We're in a series right here at the beginning of the year called Connecting. We're talking about what worship really looks like, why worship is so important. What I'm saying from the very beginning is if you want to transform, if you want to become the person God created you to be and the person you've always wanted to be, it starts with connecting with God in worship. And worship isn't just what happens on Sunday morning. We've talked about that. We've talked about what we do here and why we sing on on Sunday mornings. But we've also talked about connecting with God daily, getting into His Word and letting Him speak to you. We've talked about how our obedience to Him, last week we saw offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, that's the best kind of worship. But today I want to tell you that the work that we do can be a source of worship can be a source of joy in our lives as we connect to God through that. And what do I mean when I say work? 
Work means whatever you do to get paid, but it means more than that. Some of you are students. You're in junior high, high school, elementary school. You don't get paid for doing that, but it's work. I remember it hasn't been that long ago. It's hard work going to school. Some of you um, are stay-at-home moms. You're professional homemakers, and you work hard, but you don't get paid. Interestingly, Forbes magazine every year puts out a statistic that says, how much would you have to pay a woman if, if she's a stay-at-home mom for all the things that she does? If you paid her the going rate for, for driving, for, house sitting, for housekeeping, for, uh, for cooking, for watching over kids, for education, etc. And the, the rate now, if the average stay-at-home mom, if you paid her for all that she does, she would make $118,000 a year. So yeah, that's work. Some of you in this room are retired, and I hate your guts, but you're retired, and I'm thankful for you. Actually, um, the truth is my parents retired a decade or so ago, and I see less of them now than when they had careers. So retirement doesn't mean you stop working. It just means you stop getting paid to work. And all of us have those daily responsibilities, those, those things that we do because if we didn't, no one else would. Those things we do because if we didn't, somebody else would get mad at us. Those, those chores that we do every day. So essentially, anything that you do on a regular basis, that if someone else offered to do it for you so you could ha- have a break, it would be a relief, that's called work. And that's what we're addressing today. And I want to start by addressing two myths about work before we get into the Scripture today. Two myths that, that hold us back from worshiping God through our work. Number one is the idea that work is a bad thing. That, that work is a, a curse that has been put on man because of our sinfulness. Isn't that what the Bible says? Well, actually, no, it doesn't. The Bible teaches that when Adam and Eve committed the first sin, there were several curses that came upon humanity. One of them was that planting and harvesting would now be much harder than it had been before the sin came into the world. But there was work to do before sin entered the world. And not only that, when Jesus returns and creates a new world, and we walk that new earth with him, the Bible is quite clear there's going to be work for us to do there. So all of eternity, we will be working. Work is not a bad thing. Work is a good thing. Work is a blessing. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes work can get in the way of our relationship with God, and that's, that is because of our human sinfulness. Because of our sinfulness, sometimes we get caught up in inner office politics and gossip. Sometimes we have a boss who hates us, or if we're bosses, we have employees who drive us crazy. Sometimes because of our sinfulness, we're lazy on the job and we don't do all that we're capable of. Sometimes because of our sinfulness, we make work into something it shouldn't be. It becomes becomes a God in our lives. It becomes that which we identify ourselves by and which brings us meaning. And that way, when work is no longer there, it's really devastating. And yet, and yet, work in itself is a blessing. It's just like money. It's just like so many other things in life. It is a blessing from God that we can sometimes turn into something bad. But you talk to any person who's been unemployed for any long length of time, and it's not so much the financial hardship that they're concerned about, although that is a concern. They'll tell you, man, I feel worthless. I, I just, I, I feel like I, I don't have any meaning in life because God created us to be productive. Work is a blessing. Second myth is the idea that religious work is more important and holy than secular work. And we even have a term for it in in religious society. We say, oh, well, he has a calling. He doesn't have a job. He has a calling. 
And that's an idea that's really been spread by preachers like me, but it's not biblical. The truth is, when you read the Scriptures, God exalts work. God highly esteems work of all kinds. You read the book of Proverbs, and and God says all the time, over and over again, how much He admires and appreciates people who work hard with their hands. Martin Luther was famous for teaching that the the labor of a farmhand or a washerwoman is every bit as holy as the prayers of a monk or the sermons of a preacher. And the Puritans who, who first colonized this country, they were famous for saying that your calling from God is whatever work is before you, whether it's planting a field or whether it's taking care of some kids or whether it's washing some laundry or cleaning a house, whatever, you, whatever your hand finds to do, that's your calling and you should do it to, to the best of your ability. And even secular historians will tell you that that Puritan work ethic is what, is what made this nation of immigrants into something great, something that outstripped other countries that had far more advantages. So there's no such thing as holy work and unholy work. If your job is something that is not unethical or harmful to other people, then it is holy before God and it's an opportunity for praise. And here's my statement for you today. Whatever work you do, whether you're paid for it or not, whether you hate it or not, whatever work you do can be a venue for glory to God, can be a venue for connection between you and the Lord, and therefore can become a source of joy. Yes, even the worst work you do, Students, even even your chemistry homework, your algebra homework, your Texas history homework can be a source of praise and honor to God and a source of joy to you. Even your boss can be someone that causes you to praise the Lord. Now, how is that possible? Let's look at verse 17 of chapter 3 of Colossians. Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, what does that mean, to do it all in the name of Jesus? Does that mean you walk around pronouncing things like, I clean this toilet in the name of Jesus? No. And by the way, it doesn't even mean that you have to be the nutty religious guy in your office who preaches to everyone over the water cooler. People where you work or where you go to school should know you're a believer in Christ. And you should be be eager to share what you believe and what you know and what he's done for you. But that's not what I'm talking about here when I say worshiping God through your work. Simply stated, to do things in the name of Jesus means that you recognize you're under his authority, and so everything you do, you're really doing for him. And also you recognize that the world sees you as representing him, and so all the work that you do speaks to your faith in him and who he is. Some of you know this story, but I'm going to tell it again. When I was around 12 years old or so, on a summer day, one day, my dad gave my brother and I a job to do. He went off to work that day. He said, I want it done when I get home. What it was, was we lived way out in the country, and behind our backyard, there was an open field that my my dad had plowed up into a garden. And so every day, he would get home from work, and he'd water that garden, and the water would run down the hill because it was a slope sloping towards our house, it would run out of that garden and into our yard and get everything all wet and nasty. And so dad said, I want you to dig a little drainage ditch to catch the water. And so my brother went out there. He was four years younger than me. So we went out and I I said, okay, here's how it's going to go. We're going to start in the middle. We're going to dig in opposite directions until we're finished. And so we started digging. Now I'm four years older than my brother. I turned around and I saw that I was going a lot faster than he was. And it wasn't just because I was older and stronger. 
but he was being very meticulous and very precise in his work. I mean, he would literally take two or three scoops out of his shovel, and then he'd take a flat-headed, shovel, flat-bladed shovel, and he'd straighten out his ditch so that it was perfectly smooth, perfectly straight. And I said, Billy, what are you doing? It doesn't matter what it looks like. It's just got to hold water. You're wasting your time. This is going to take you forever. But he didn't listen to me. It's a you know, common theme among younger brothers. And so I got finished way before he did and went inside, and I sat by the window drinking my iced tea, watching him work himself to death and laughing my head off. And then Dad got home, and he surveyed our work, and everything changed. Because if you've ever had a sibling, any of you who had a sibling know how painful this is. My dad praised my brother, my little brother, and criticized me. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, Jeff, the work that you do tells people who you are. Even when you think it's not important work, even when it's work you don't like, the work you do, the kind of job you do, shows people what you're really like. The work that we do as believers in Christ, even when it's mundane tasks, represents us before the world. We need to keep that in mind. We represent Him. So we need to do everything in His name in recognition that what we're doing speaks to the world of who He is. But not only that, verses 23 and 24 take this even further. Verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now this is written in the context, if you look at verse 22, it's written to slaves, this particular command. And I'll be honest, slave owners in this country 150, 200 years ago used to use this verse, this passage, and a few others to exploit their slaves and say, you have no rights. This says you're supposed to work for me. They're ignoring, of course, the many places in Scripture that say that all people are equal before God. And those, those Scriptures and those teachings eventually won out, and that's why we don't have slavery anymore. But what is God saying through Paul right here? He's saying, listen... If there's anybody in this world that hates the work they do, it's got to be enslaved people. And no wonder you hate it. You're working for people who are holding you in bondage. So in order to make that work, which you have to do, which you don't have a choice of, in order to make that work into a source of joy in your life, use it as a connection with me. And so understand, you're not actually working for that slave master. You're working for me. And do it as if you're doing it for me. And then it will become a source of joy to you. See, he was giving them a lifeline, a survival. He was giving them a way to turn their drudgery into joy. And, and the way I apply this to my life, uh, the illustration I always use in my own mind whenever I've got a, a, a job to do that I don't really want to do, is I think about it this way. Imagine somebody that you really, really admire, a famous person, maybe your favorite president, maybe, maybe an author or a, or a singer or an actor or an athlete or somebody who you look up to, somebody you'd be excited to meet. Imagine that person came over to your house this week and you fed them dinner. And then afterwards, after they left, you saw that they had left behind a jacket. And you picked it up and as you lifted it, you knew that it was theirs and you saw that it was stained and you didn't know whether she'd, he or she had gotten it stained at your house or if it would already been there, but I'll, I'll tell you what you're going to do in that situation. I know. I, I don't even have to guess. You're going to take that jacket to the dry cleaners. You're going to get it professionally cleaned, and then you're going to drive it personally to their house. 
You're not going to call them because if you call them and say, hey, you left your jacket, they, they're going to call and say, they're going to say, well, I'll send somebody to pick it up. And you don't want to take that chance because you want to get to be the one who cleans and delivers their jacket because that's how much you admire that person. It's not a drudgery for you. It's not something you're like, oh, man, I don't need another responsibility this week. It would be that way if it was my jacket, right? You'd be like, stupid preacher. But because it's someone you really, really admire and look up to, you're thrilled to get to do it. And once we see the work that we do that way, it changes the way we see our work. And then we look at our boss who may be incompetent or who may be sadistic or who may be both. No comments from people who work at First Baptist Church. Or we see that person we're serving, that client or that customer who's just, who has this entitled attitude and treats you like a servant and acts like they're better than you. And we say to ourselves, this is an opportunity right here because God loves this person. This person is a child of God. Even if they don't treat me right, they are loved by God. And when I love them, when I show them love and respect, I am loving my Lord. And this work that I'm supposed to do this week that I don't want to do, this is my assignment from Jesus Christ. This is an opportunity to show him how much I love him. This project that I've been given that I think is the dumbest thing that's ever been offered to anyone, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, and I'm going to be thrilled about it because it's an opportunity to glorify him and make him proud. So here's my challenge for you this week. Apply that truth to everything you do. Let's try it for one week. Let's try it for seven days. Between now and next Sunday, let's just see what happens if every morning we wake up and say, Lord, help me to do everything that I do today in your name. And every time some assignment comes across your desk or every time uh, some responsibility walks into your life, say, okay, Lord, help me to do this in your name. Help me to do it differently. And let me give you three things to pray about, three ways to pray to make this week different so you can do everything in the Lord's name. Three things. Number one, pray for God to redeem your work. Pray for Him to redeem your work. Because I know, I know that if you were, you were honest, some of you would stand up and say, now you don't understand, Jeff. I know you like your job, and, and, I, and no wonder because you only work one day a week. Ha, ha, ha. But I, I hate my job. I, I hate Sundays because on Sundays I know I've got to work on Monday. And so I'm just dreading all day. It's 24 hours of dread knowing that I have to go back there tomorrow. And yes, you're right. I do love what I do. I love it. I love it so much. Most of the things that I do, I do for free if they didn't pay me. Don't tell the personnel committee. But I have been where you are. I have had jobs that I hated. I had have had jobs where on Monday mornings if I woke up with a... With you know, nausea, I was like, praise God for stomach viruses because I don't want to have to go to work today. And I wish someone had said to me what I'm saying to you now. Pray for God to redeem your work. Pray for it. I'm not saying that it's wrong to look for a better job. It, it's not wrong. If you have an opportunity to do something you enjoy more, go for it. And I'm certainly, please hear me, I'm certainly not saying that if you're being harassed or abused on your job that you should just take it. I'm not. You should speak up. But here's the thing, and let's be honest. A lot of us, a lot of us, if we hate our jobs, we don't want to change the way we look at our jobs because we enjoy the victimhood. 
We enjoy being able to say to our friends, to our spouse, to our neighbors, to anybody who will listen, man, I've got the worst boss in the world. Man, the the work I have to do is so miserable. And we don't want to change our attitude about that. What I'm saying to you is, while you're there, just like those slaves in the first century, why not turn what seems like misery and probably is into an opportunity to praise the Lord? Why not ask God to redeem your work? And by the way, to do things in Jesus' name, think about what the name of Jesus means. At the name of Jesus, demons screamed in terror and fled. At the name of Jesus, dead people rose from the grave. At the name of Jesus, hungry people ate. At the name of Jesus, storms ceased. So yeah, he can take your miserable job and turn it into something different. He can take your mindset and redeem it so that your work becomes a joy. Just let him, ask him to do that. Second thing to pray, pray for the people you work for and with. Pray for them by name. They should be on your daily prayer list. This is your your number one opportunity right there to witness for Christ, to show the world who the Lord is. So ask yourself the question, do I make this a more joyful place to work or am I part of the morale problem in my office? Do I make my boss's life easier or harder? Does he say, man, I need, to, I need to hire more devout Christians because of you? Or does he say the opposite? Do I treat the people I serve with care and integrity or do I see them as a necessary evil? Am I the kind of person that my coworkers would come to if they were in trouble, if they had questions, if they were struggling and just needed someone to talk to? See, if you begin to pray for the people you work for and with by name and that becomes a daily pattern for you, it's going to change your answers to those questions and you're going to find yourself becoming the source of light within the place where you work. And wherever you go, you are going to find opportunities to bless others. Third, and finally, pray for God to change you as you work. See, God can use anything to change us. One of my favorite scriptures is often misunderstood. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Here's the big part. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. And people misunderstand that. They say, well, I thought that salvation was by grace and so it's free of charge and you don't have to do anything to earn it. Well, why does this say work out your salvation? And they're right. Salvation is free. Nobody knew that better than Paul, the man who wrote Philippians. He's not saying anything different. What he's saying is, on the day you made Jesus your Savior and received His forgiveness, you were justified before God and you always will be. But that was not the end of your journey. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of God changing you into something new, something different. And that takes work on your part. You have to strive for it. You can't grow content and say, I'm good enough as I am. No, you've got to constantly work towards becoming the person God created you to be. It's, It's joy for you. It's blessing for those around you. And it glorifies Him. Work out your salvation. And so God uses lots of things to help you work out your salvation. Some of those are quote-unquote religious things like going to church and praying and and giving offerings and, and reading your Bible, but some of them are more mundane things. 
God can teach you through the work that you do. He can shape your character. When I was in seventh grade, I was the laziest student alive. My teachers, I think, promoted me to eighth grade just so they wouldn't have to deal with me anymore. I was a good kid. I just didn't turn in homework. I just didn't want to do the work. My parents, I don't know why they still have hair after dealing with me that year. My son is now in seventh grade, and he's doing a lot better than I was. But I know what it's like to be a seventh grade boy. Barely human, let's be honest. And even though he's doing a good job, I, I like to tell him, I like to tell him, here's what you've got to deal with, buddy. Here's, here's what you're struggling with. And, and one thing I say to him, so often he's probably tired of it, is anyone can do a good job on the things you enjoy. But the rest of your life, you'll have to do things you don't enjoy. That's just life. And greatness is learning to do your best on the things you don't enjoy. Greatness is learning to find joy and work hard in the things that aren't really your thing. And that's diligence. That's what the Bible calls diligence. And working teaches you diligence. Working teaches you humility. Working teaches you all sorts of things that you don't currently have. So ask God to use your job and your work and your chores and, and, and your assignments as a tool to shape your character. Now, let me just close with this. One of the things that brings me great comfort is knowing that when God, the creator of the universe, became a human, he didn't gravitate toward an easy life. The only man in history, only human who ever lived, who chose everything about himself, his appearance, his gifts, his parents, his place of birth, his circumstances. And he chose life in a poor part of the world, in the home of a carpenter. And so for the first 30 years of his life, Jesus worked with his hands. Some of you work in construction now and others have in the past. Can you imagine the Son of God, the creator of the universe, taking orders from some stumpy little foreman? Can you imagine him getting chewed out by some customer who was just in a bad mood and needed to take out their frustration on somebody? Can you imagine him at the end of a 14-hour day picking splinters out of his hands? This is what happened to Jesus. And yet none of it was his life's work. None of it was why he was on the earth. He just did that to make a living. And then there came the day around the age of 30 where he announced to the world, I know what my life's work is. I know why I'm here. And this is what it is. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. My death brings you life. And then on Good Friday, as he hung there on the cross with barely enough breath, he spoke one last time and said, it is finished. It is finished. He was like, he was like a carpenter, a craftsman, looking at his project and saying, I'm, I'm finally done. The work is over. The, the house is built. And I have done it well. His work, his death, his saving work for us was finished. And because he finished and because he did his best and because he gave it all, you and I have salvation. And therefore, and therefore, even in the most mundane thing we have to do, can we dare offer him any less? Let's do everything this week in his name and just see what happens.